Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livius Ned. And this week, we are finally completing our Replace Livius uh, contest uh, winner thing. And uh, we have from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, Adam, whose legs don't work. Adam, say hello. Hi, guys. How you doing? There you go. We're doing well. How are you? I am fantastic. Very excited about this. Hey, can we clear one thing up real quick? Because I'm sure people have heard us say Adam, whose legs don't work on the podcast and probably think we're just huge dicks. <laughs> well, you are. But well, yes. well, yeah, but not in relation to this. Like you've right, actually right. used that to refer to yourself that way. Right. This is in I, case I, in case my mom listens. I want to get this all cleared up. Yeah, there's a there's a bit of a story uh, behind that. Well, other than I just have a, a nerve disorder, so my legs actually don't work very well. But uh, back in high school, Rob and I used to work at a grocery store <laughs> together, and um, we had a little intercom thing where you could you know call out price check and, and that sort of thing. But we would use it to uh, let each other know we were going on break, and so Rob would either use the intercom or just yell across the store, um, hey, Cripple, are we going on break? And I'd say, hey, fat guy, I need 10 more minutes. And uh, so it was sort of a little game we'd play to try and see how many people we could offend in any particular <laughs> shift on at work. Uh, so, the, yeah, that was uh, Cripple and the fat guy were, were sort of our, uh, if somebody wrote a TV movie about us, that would be the name of it. So what you're saying is Rob was a dick. Well, I, I <laughs> yes, definitely okay. that. But um, I don't, I just share in some of the blame and, and uh, as being a dick as well. I like to think that I wasn't afraid to be a dick. <laughs> you were, you showed bravery. That's that, right. That is true. This is, this is that thing where you're like, you know, when you're a dick and you'd be like, well, I'm just trying to be honest. And like your defense is honesty. <laughs> Yours is, <laughs> you're not afraid to be a dick. That's, That's right. why you're a dick. That's right. All right. <laughs> And and I'm uh, self-assured enough that I need people around me to be like, hey, you're being an asshole or, hey, you're a cripple and let's not get her. You know, we don't need to look around that. <laughs> so it uh, worked out very well for me growing up. It, it's given me the uh, self-confidence of a much more attractive man. And, uh, and, and let's be honest, I've been fat way longer than Adam's been crippled. <laughs> this, is, this is like a politically correct nightmare this episode. And, and we haven't even started talking about the book right <laughs> Speaking all right of. and uh <laughs> concluding our initial round of broken river reviews uh we have peckerwood tonight so a little bit about peckerwood um listeners to the show no stranger to jed Ayers, who is the author of the novel peckerwood and the short story collections A Fuckload of Shorts and Fierce Bitches. He is also the co-editor of the fiction anthologies Noir at the Bar, Volumes 1 and 2, and Dict. He is the host of Noir at the Bar in St. Louis, and pretty much wherever else he can pick up work doing that, I think. Yeah. A common theme in the titles for his, I don't know if anybody noticed, like Noir at the Bar is the most tame of the titles of mm -hmm. books that he either edits or, or, or writes. Yeah, absolutely. Um I, I th and you know that's the cool thing is that Amazon doesn't actually censor um, titles. I, I don't think because I'm staring at an Amazon title right now that would be censored, you know, on a bookshelf somewhere at Barnes and Noble or whatever. But uh, um, yeah, I think he's pushing the envelope there with his titles, which is cool because so far from the things I've read, they're all pretty fitting. Yeah. Well, uh, tonight we're talking about Peckerwood, 
Um, and here is the synopsis that we pulled from. I can't remember where this came from, but it took a little digging. Um, I think it was Jet Air's website, actually. Assaults, armed robbery, and the occasional blackmail. Life is pretty damn good for Terry Hickerson. He's got a dog, a best friend, enough cash to get him drunk, and a teenage son to carry him home. Sure, he's a constant pain in the local law's ass, but Sheriff Jimmy Mondale got it, has got enough to worry about. What with his estranged daughter on a tear, and the district attorney uh, being on to his partnership with local ex-biker meth kingpin and tackle shop owner Chowder Thompson. When tragedy hits their small town of Spruce, Missouri... Terry's peckerwood bullshit will push the three of them into a volatile whirlwind complete with bullets, bodies, and broken bones. A little bit of alliteration at the end there. And um, the explanation for why the book is called Peckerwood right there in the synopsis. That's right. There you go. Well, somewhat. And, uh, kind of a reference to what it would mean. Yes. So, so yeah, what we have is a... Um, pretty significant cast of characters in this book so we talked about terry oh god do either one of you guys remember what his friend's name was cal he, cal yep. yeah so he's got his friend cal you've got the sheriff and his ex-wife chowder chowder and his daughter and his wife yeah big cast for what's not a very big book what did you anybody what this is 220 pages i think i don't know i read it on the amazon kindle app so i, I didn't have a page count yeah, I read it on Kindle as well, and this is the first time I've read a book all on the the Kindle on the computer. And so, yeah, I have no idea. It's something like 3,000 units, I think is what it said. There you go. This 3,000-unit book brought to you by uh, 3,000 units um, translates into 200 pages according to Amazon.com. There you go. So I uh, think it was like big cast of characters yeah. For, yeah, for 200 pages, though, right? Yeah, yeah, it was since... pretty crazy how direct, fully developed characters that that you cared about, you wanted to see something about them or hear something about them, and so yeah, that was pretty interesting. Yeah, because each main character even had little offshoots. Like Chowder Thompson is the drug kingpin guy, but then you got his daughter Erm, you got his wife, um, you've got like a an employee at the you know that works for him, and same thing with. Um, uh, with Terry has his son and to a lesser degree, um, an ex. And then like, uh, the sheriff, Jimmy Mondale's got his daughter that makes an appearance. His ex-wife makes an appearance their family to a degree makes an appearance. So yeah, everybody's got kind of like a little branches of, of people that are in their, in their circle. I think that Adam brought up a good point about the characters being well-developed. And I think that that's, um, part of, um, what does that is that you see all you don't just, know about them but you get to see them through the eyes of some of their family members and, and close friends um, but we start off the story with Terry um, basically hooking up with a, with a younger girl that he meets in a bar that turns out to be Sheriff Mondale's daughter and uh, listeners astute listeners may remember that um, this was uh, part of the reading that uh, Noir at the Bar Indianapolis Jed Ayers read from this book and kind of addresses some of the things that happen um, due to this kind of hookup early on in the book that was one of the weird things reading it. I kept thinking I already knew these characters. And so I was like, wait, they, have they already reviewed this book? And then I, and so I would text Rob, I think two or three times and be like, are you sure you guys didn't already talk about this scene or, or about this book? And then he's, he reminded me, oh, you probably just listened to the reading where he read a chapter or a section of it. 
And so I went back and I was like, oh yeah, that's exactly why. I feel like I already know most of you know these main groups of people. Mm. You got it right from the author, in the voice of the author. And then the story uh, from from this hookup, that's kind of like the um, the storm that's on the horizon, what happens toward the beginning. And then we settle into uh, learning more about the criminal partnership between um, the town's uh, sheriff, Jimmy Mondale, and uh, kind of a long-time criminal... The criminal element guy, the guy that runs the criminal element in town, his name is Chowder. I think it's was it Charlie or Charles? Yeah, Charles. Yeah. But he's called Chowder Tom Thompson. Mm-hmm. And um, so we get a lot of like the, kind of the middle of the story is a lot of seeing um, how they react in their lives separately because it's a it's a third person narration. So we get to see we're not seeing everything from just Terry's perspective. We're seeing kind of these their different lives and how they they exist in their own lives and how they feel about everything that's going on and then we get to see those uh you know their intentions and their motivations and their actions kind of clash and and kind of build up into a turmoil as the story goes on yeah i had made a note um just as i was reading through this and and starting to write down all those characters and it reminded me or or made me think that what a what a well written book can do, uh, if if it's put together by a smart author, or uh, is to tell a compelling story, or a number of compelling stories, but not needing a, a clear protagonist. You know, like the the white hat black hat divide that you see in uh, you know TV or movies. You know, where it's the the good guy is the guy with the dog, and the bad guy is the guy that hits the girl, and everything's laid out for you but all of these characters they they're really unlikable in society and in you know respectable society um but each of them the way he writes them and the and the situations he puts them in he gives them a a justify a self-justification uh and a reason that they're making these bad choices and you get the feeling that they're really just trying to get by they're they're trying to win even if winning isn't really what the rest of us would consider living well sure absolutely yeah i think one of the interesting things because you know the first the first indication you get about mondale and um sheriff mondale and chowder's relationship is that here's the sheriff that for many years has been helping the the guy who deals drugs and runs a whorehouse but it doesn't take long you know into this to into the story to find out that you know, he kind of decides that Chowder's the lesser of, of many evils. He keeps out all the other crime gangs that could be worse. And he manages to funnel some money into into the tax base to help this town um, through helping Chowder, which I wasn't really clear on how that happened exactly. <laughs> like how he was. But regardless, you know, even you know, he's doing bad things, but he's got a reason for doing him. Ultimately, he's still helping a, a, a criminal. But it's kind of like the lesser of two or ten evils, you know, throughout the course of the book of other, um, you know, crime gangs that could move in and be a lot worse for this small town. Yeah, definitely. Um, And to Adam's point, I agree that um, there's not necessarily one clear protagonist and everybody has that kind of like secondary protagonist kind of feel to them. With the exception to, I think, um, and, and the title Peckerwood kind of is a 
reveals this to a degree uh, of Terry Hickerson being the most common thread, and he's the one that kind of has his goofy, you know, bumbling effect on the most people in the book. Um, he's not well-intentioned. He's really just kind of out to out for himself. And, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's the comic relief in a lot of the situations in the book, and um, he's just, like, lovably, lovably terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I, I found myself throughout the book in different instances thinking, I kind of hope he does okay. You know, I hope he gets out of this. Or, yeah. but other times I'm like, all right, yeah, you should, you should probably punch him in the face. Yeah. Oh, I mean, knew. this guy's the, the kind of tool who he he runs around. His his main source of income appears to be like knocking over like liquor stores, <laughs> like throwing a bag on his head, running in, pulling a gun, and running out with three hundred bucks. But there's a one point where he's kind of fantasizing about his future and how he's going to take his like 11 or 12 year old kid and teach him the ropes of how to do this. Like, <laughs> he's not even cool enough to like want better for his son. He's like, I'm really proud because once I had him drive the getaway car and like he totally didn't freak out at all, which was uh, kind of a weird. I don't know. I guess there are people out there who want to grow up in daddy's footsteps, even if daddy's footsteps are, you know, a pathway straight to jail. Yeah. <laughs> you pretty much know that, that there's not a lot of good on the horizon for Mr. Terry Hickerson. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, kind of, I think that, that the, the important part of this book or, or the, the thread is that, you know, that all these people are going to cross one another's paths in some kind of insanity, you know, towards the end of the book. And it's always fun to kind of read books like this, where, you know, you're kind of trying to predict what is Chowder's daughter, Erm going to have to do with, you know, Terry, you know, later on in the book, you know, you're trying to make those connections. And uh, I think that Ayers does a really good job putting that all together at the end, that what what becomes an intricate puzzle doesn't feel that intricate because you've been with the characters. But when you kind of step back and look at the effect they've all had on one another and on the outcome of this particular story, it's actually pretty, pretty well put together. Definitely. I, I wrote myself a note and just jotted it down as I was going through and said, this story reminds me of Ice Harvest meets Love Actually because of how they're intertwined that way. I'm sure Jed is really appreciative of at least one of those. Um, <laughs> right. One of those. The other, note, the other note that I wrote was the movie Crash meets Reservoir Dogs, which seemed a little more fitting in that it was in both. Uh, there's a lot of bloodshed. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the, the first one, it, it just, it was that intertwining of stories that drove the action that that drove the the story forward and Hold on that's, a second. that's what they really fit that are we talking james spader crash or sandra bullock crash mm. um i think sandra bullock okay was there a lot of sex and broken up cars in the in the one you were talking about <laughs> there was like, a lot uh, of racism yeah no that's that's definitely sandra bullock All right, yeah. shot. Okay. The the lesser of the crashes. Yes. <laughs> well, yes. How bad is it when you make a movie named Crash and you're not the best one? <laughs> like, I you know I can relate because I thought I would be the most entertaining Adam that you guys would have on oh, this. Oh yeah. Adam comes on and just blows it out of the water. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm upset. Well, I'm as upset as Sandra Bullock. The, the less the lesser of the crashes won an Oscar though I think. So <laughs> just so you know it could happen. Also, uh, you have made fun of us and criticized us far less than, than A. Adam Otten did, so... 
that might be leaning in your favor a little bit. <laughs> nice. All, uh, and, and overall, this, what we've described so far is essentially a, a society that's getting by, but it's kind of at a high boil. Like it's always like at a point where things could go wrong at any second. You know what I'm saying? But but uh, between Chowder and Mondale, they manage to keep everything just within the boundaries that they they can manage. Um, and uh, the tipping point kind of for the book that causes the, you know, the, all the uh, chaos and, and everything is there's a, a district attorney from out of town who rolls in and uh, starts talking big about uh, uh, bringing down this criminal enterprise and, and making uh, suggestions that he thinks that there's, uh, that the, the sheriff's in cahoots and stuff. So... Um, this starts that kind of domino effect of everybody thinking, you know, uh, how do we get out of this? What does he know? You know, who's going to turn on who and all that. And that's, that's really what causes a lot of the, uh, the change and the chaos, uh, toward the middle and end of the book. Yeah. And, and there's also a, and I don't, cause this is later on, but there's, there's a whole blackmail plot. That doesn't start until a really good portion of the way into the book, but it was some of my favorite stuff. There's a, and you guys, again, I don't want to spoil it, but there's a whole bathroom scene <laughs> that was goddamn brilliant. Just, just brilliant. I'm pretty sure I reread a few of those pages after I read them because it was just so well put together. And, and so just, <laughs> just, it was just awesome. Right. Well, and that whole scene, that, that whole subplot, if you want to call it that, is, just another example of what a holes these guys really are, but you didn't. You you. That's the kind of thing you're like. I really kind of hope they get away with it. Like that's that was the one thing in there that I was like, no, that that seems like a justified use of being a dick. Like, and they um, they came across a little bit as like the bumbling guys, and we've read other stories where you had like the bumbling criminals. And they're always likable because you know there's only a fifty percent chance they're going to pull off whatever it is they try. And that's the perfect instance of like they they do this thing and then they have no idea where to go after or where to go with it after they've established the initial kind of con. And I would say more like the, you think you figure there's a twenty five or thirty percent chance that it'll work. Yeah. Yep. So. Yeah. And and <laughs> what made that already funny situation even funnier in my opinion is that you knew this was like the best idea they'd ever had. <laughs> it was still a pretty terrible <laughs> idea. <laughs> <laughs> like this was them going big. <laughs> well, and speaking of Terry and Cal, I thought that was kind of I'd mentioned before that they kind of knock off little you know liquor stores, laundromats, that kind of thing, anywhere they can pick up some quick cash. But there's an element later on when when Terry's a little bit freaked out about this this blackmail scheme that that they're trying to pull off. And you know, at one point, it's like he needs a fix. Like they stop to rob a liquor store just to like calm himself down, like somebody would with a you know with a couple shots of whiskey or or, or with some drugs. And he's like, I, I don't even care how much we got. I just I feel better that we robbed this liquor store. Like yeah. that's you know, which I thought was interesting and perhaps might even be a thing. I mean, I don't know many career criminals um, that aren't on this podcast, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, maybe that is a thing where you just need a fix, and that fixes, you know, busting down a Mexican supermarket. Uh, well, how good did that turn out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, anything else you guys want to talk about plot related? Eh. 
the only other thought I had there, and, and this goes a little bit back to the uh, ADA and that sort of thing, um, where you didn't, like, anytime somebody was was killed or maimed or, you know, any of the bad things that happened and the, the ADA coming in to, um, you know, expose this whole criminal enterprise, you never felt like that that person deserved to die. Or even if they did deserve it, you were like, oh... Maybe it wasn't, they weren't that bad. You know, you, you sort of, um, there was nothing cathartic about somebody getting shot in the face because you're like, oh, this is a bad thing that happened to them that day. Like, like they just got a flat tire and it's raining or, um, you know, they're in the middle of a shower and their water gets shut off or they get shot in the face. Like those are the, they, they all, all of those things seem to be on the same <laughs> level in the crappiness of these people's lives. You know, that made me think of something kind of interesting, though. And you had said before that, you know, that, that you know, none of these people are likable. But that's the whole thing is none of them were hateable. Yeah. He you know, they just people. kind of. Yeah, they just kind of were. So, like you said, if someone was going to get shot and killed, you're kind of like, oh, that sucks. And <laughs> nobody got what they had coming via a bullet, I guess, is my kind of I felt about it. It's interesting because usually characters are one way or the other. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, there's usually someone you're like, oh, that guy's going to get shot. And, and you're glad to see you know, when that happens. Yeah, that's a good point. Good call. All right. So kind of moving away from the plot um, a little bit. Rob, I don't know what we do without you. You're like some kind of like goddamn rain man when it comes to these some of these things. Like you would think that I would have noticed any of these particular notes um as i was reading them but rob always has this knack to pull out these kind of interesting word facts so let's uh let's go ahead and give some of the listeners what you got here all right um what's a shit bird do you know you need me to google that for you i don't i mean i don't have an answer (laughs) i guess maybe i shouldn't have asked that question because i don't have an answer to it but um (laughs) there are six instances of the word shit bird in the book um and two of yard bird um, but there's only nine total instances of words including the word bird, which means he only referred to one actual bird, even though bird was in nine words, um, which I thought was kind of amusing. Um, can I tell you that there are actual web definitions for shipbird? <clears throat> um, Wiktionary, which is a cute little play on words, um, is uh, an objectionable person. Urban dictionary, a completely useless individual who is unaware of his or her own complete uselessness. There were definitely some shitbirds in this book. Yes, there are some shitbirds. And a yard bird. Let's see if we've got something for yard bird. Since apparently there was no glossary, no um, list of characters. <laughs> we have to do this ourselves. Abandoned yard the bird can be a new military recruit, especially one assigned to menial tasks or a convict. There it is. Yard bird, like you're out in the yard. I got it. Mm-hmm. All right, yep. let's talk about shit a little bit. Let's shoot well, the shit Well, hold on. Here. Before we move away from bird, so the, the title is also woodpecker, but swapped around. Oh, right. So oh. Some play on the bird theme. Ooh, look at this guy. I knew that guy is going to put us out of work, man. <laughs> I, knew, shit. I knew the philosophy degree was going to be coming in. It didn't take too long. Right. There you go. <laughs> picking up the deep stuff here that's right um he said let's talk about shit so i went ahead and looked up the definition for you in case you didn't have it (laughs) um uh, is either one feces or two a contemptible a contemptible or worthless person all right well it's definitely something that got used a lot there's 129 instances of the word shit 
being either by itself or in another word. Um, examples of other words that it that it was in include shit kicker, shit heel, shit head, shit weasel, shit scab, shit whore, shit ass, and obviously uh, the previously mentioned shit bird. And um, I was yeah. surprised. I was in for for um, as a contrast. I wanted to see how often fuck uh, appears, which because it it happened a lot, and it happened 125 times. So there's more shits than fucks in the book. But I don't believe anyone was actually just called a, a shit or like there may have been a little shit that kind of thing. But it was such a creative use of a shit as part of an insult. Right, like when when do you call someone a shit weasel, as opposed to them being a shit heel, or a shit whore, right. for example? Although I I just in general in life don't like the word shit ass because it seems like your brain just got stuck. <laughs> like there's no point to the word shit ass. Yeah, yeah. My further web research of some of these words led me to shitheels.com. <laughs> which is the official shit heel. I don't know hall, what you're talking about. Yeah. Shit heel hall of fame, which includes pictures of people with a reason as to why they're shit heels. And in some cases, a picture of them right across from a picture of some shit. <laughs> you can't have shit in your URL and not have a picture of some shit at some point. Yeah. So there, throw that on your Tumblr kids. <laughs> Shitheels.com. Throw that on your Tumblr. Interestingly, now that we've looked at words that appear regularly in the book, Peckerwood only shows up three times in the book. And I looked up this definition so that Livius didn't have to do so much exhaustive Googling because we know... <laughs> Thank you. We know uh, My fingers hurt. <laughs> we know about Livius and Googling. Um, mm-hmm. Peckerwood refers to a poor, rural, southern white person. So I think that's Can't very be too much... many of those, right? Terry Hickerson is kind of the epitome of that he's he's definitely poor rural white but he's he's uh akin at like like we were saying earlier kind of rooted in that like he doesn't aspire to be anything but being you know his like low life liquor store robbing um good time having dude yeah i mean i think it's really addressed in chapter one like it's really like hey here's this guy he really doesn't want to do anything just kind of wants to be so <laughs> Oh, Terry. You guys ready to do some quotes? One more thing, actually, I want to say about um, uh, of the overall story is that... Um, so, this is the type of, of book where you don't necessarily expect your characters to have much growth. Um, they're kind of like quasi... All quasi-protagonists, like we talked about earlier. And you, you pretty much, at least in my case, I expected them to be more or less the same at the end of the book as they were when we were first introduced to them. Um, did you guys feel the same way? I expected that, yes. Yes, and and I think that's something that the, the even the title sort of prepares you for to right. say, yeah, these these are scumbags. You know, like they're they're not. You know, um, becomes racist, Adam. <laughs> or classist, Adam. Sorry, I, I was trying to class it up if I'm replacing Livius, but. <laughs> Apparently I can't. Um, <laughs> you you know they're not genteel, but at the same time you know they're not going to bankrupt Wall Street. Yeah, like they're, they're they're just low low importance, yeah. and even in their own mind, like so that the idea of Packerwood isn't like 
even as you know he's a big asshole it's it's no it's this guy is insignificant or these people are insignificant in a larger scheme of the world but in their world they are assholes but the interesting thing and the reason i brought that up was because there was moments for most of the characters where they were all they had this introspective part where they just for a moment just kind of thought about well this is the you know i could leave now i could use this as my excuse to get out of out of this and start new um which i wasn't necessarily expecting but i think that it was kind of nice because then you're like oh what's going to happen next and then you get to see so like even though um you really don't expect much change there's that moment where he makes you question whether it's actually going to happen or not so i thought that was pretty cool Definitely. And and like Livius was saying, that whole first paragraph, which I had put down actually in my quotes and then thought, wow, I shouldn't have a quote that soon. Um, but then that whole intro paragraph really sets the tone for who we're looking at here. And, and just the one part where it says um, Terry is trying to come up with a way to live long enough to make a better last mistake. <laughs> that line I, I just thought was it was brilliant in drawing you into the story. Because you want to know what that mistake was, but then also you want to um, you're 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 let into who this person is that you've just started rooting for. Agreed. I don't know if we could have a better segue into quotes than that. No, no, no. I think Adam already kicked it off with a quote. So I have a few, um, mm-hmm. but uh, Livius, you want to get get some going? I'd love to. Um, this is a, a a description of um, a kind of a side character, someone that wasn't very important in the book, but um, I, I love this description. Bug, who'd done three years in Joliet for the Bucks, back when people said Chowder himself looked like Lee Major's ugly brother, but was now evangelizing some kind of middle management office job working for criminal Kmart. <laughs> awesome nice. stuff right there. And here's one thing that I thought was an interesting quote in here that next time you guys see Jed and Daya, you should ask him if uh, he got this off of someone's Amazon review, but it's uh, there's a quote in here where Cal is uh, making an announcement, a pronouncement to the bar, and he says, uh, my friend here is a published author as of three days ago, and like all great authors, he confronts the establishment in his time and lives in mortal danger of its wrath, all the while sowing seeds of immortality in the hearts and minds of all those who read his words. He drained his bud and signaled for another before the empty glass hit was on the bar. His ideas, once released, can never be called back or quieted. They sally forth and do not return void. And that, coming from Cal, just seemed like a, a comment you'd get off of somebody's Amazon review and then see if they read your next book. It did seem, I will say, it did seem a little bit like... Uh self-reflective or something i don't know if it was like something he wrote like it came from a place of of experience is what i'm trying to say (laughs) right (laughs) but it just seemed um unnecessarily elaborate yeah well i mean until you've had a drink with jedi heirs (laughs) that seems like it's exactly the type of thing that jed would say while at a bar with some friends (laughs) i i dream of that opportunity one day that whole angle was um 
Terry when he was in prison, right? There was a guy that was uh, writing stuff and sending it <laughs> yeah. to ISIS, which was just, just a great segue into it's just one of those little side stories. I mean, there is some actual importance that he writes this piece. If anybody, you know, remembers from from the reading, I believe Judd kind of addresses that in, in the reading from Indianapolis. There's just a nice little touch that there's this weird side story about this guy who's inspired by his like jailhouse roommate to write like letters to penthouse. <laughs> it's almost like that movie Blow. You remember that movie Blow with Johnny Depp? Where mm-hmm. like yeah. in prison, that's where he learns how to be a drug dealer. But mm-hmm. like instead of being a hugely successful like criminal, he just writes porn. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Adam, do you have uh, do you have some quotes you'd like to share? There was I'm trying to find it through him. I'm clicking through and I I only had wrote down the part of it. Um, but it just made me laugh. Uh, again, letting us know how Terry's thinking about the world, and uh, it's something. It's, there's more to it than what I have here, but it's. Uh, he figured that if he were gay, he would just stay home and jerk off in the mirror, or something along those yeah. lines. <laughs> and I'm not finding the exact line in here, um, but that really that made me laugh a lot when he wrote it. Like, yeah, because that's how that's how gay people think about that's, guys that's, that's how being gay works <laughs> Dude, but yeah. that's exactly like the perfect like heterosexual homophobe like idea you, yeah. you know what i mean like that's you know it's not it's not an original thought but it always like indicates the type of person <laughs> like you can tell the kind of person you're dealing with when you hear something like that so yeah <laughs> um here, I've got one. I just kind of like the way this was worded. The Duke continued, uh, Duke being jukebox, the Duke continued to suggest a party even after those attuned to its ideas had left the room. That's what I like about Jed. He's got some good wording. Um, this one that I want to do is is another uh, example of just like Jed as a craftsman because um, I think the reason that we're, we're drawn to his writing is because he just writes damn good crime. Um this is a conversation between two police officers and I'm going to censor the name of one of the characters so it doesn't ruin anything for anybody who plans to read the book. That little turd on the floor sure looks surprised, the deputy observed. Jimmy turned and regarded the still body of... Name redacted. Shouldn't be. He was working toward this end his whole life. I'm glad we finally put that fucking name redacted guy down. but like how i mean like that's just such a great way to encapsulate like um in in very few words like an overall feel of a character that didn't end up being very prominent um we had a feel of how he was but this really kind of like put a label on what type of person it was uh very succinctly i thought it was awesome and i i noticed that that similar uh style and that painting of you know the picture Every time he would describe one of like a, a drug shack or um, the the brothel or any of those kinds of things, he was always you you saw it in your mind exactly what kind of crappy place this was, mm-hmm. and and so yeah, I, I agree. Those were points of his um, his craft. That I found another one in here though early on that makes me think maybe he was winning a bet with someone. When he puts the chiropractor, like uh, when he's hitting on the, um, the sheriff's daughter, and he looks at her elbow and says, "What's a joint like this doing on a girl like you?" <laughs> I was upset with him. I wanted to write him a letter. <laughs> and be uh, like, "Jed, come." <laughs> that was good. This, that was... <laughs> um, 
This next one isn't so much as a quote, but I just I, I loved catching this in, in the story. Redneck vampire clan traveling around Oklahoma or somewhere in a Winnebago had stopped at a shit kicker bar and things were about to get bloody. That is from probably the best vampire movie ever made. <laughs> Rob, any thoughts on what movie that might be? Uh, I know I said best, so it, it's not Twilight. So I'll, I'll give you I'll give you an out there. It's not Twilight. <laughs> Um, is that dust till dawn? Yeah, that's the only near, near dark, which oh. is probably like a mid to late '80s horror movie about a traveling kind of family of vampires, which was just awesome, just awesome. So it was really nice to to catch that here in the in the book. Well, congratulations on catching that reference. Yeah, that was great. Um, now you make me feel like it wasn't anything. Jed apparently thought it was something. Thanks, Jed. Well, you <laughs> and him and David James Keaton sit around talking about obscure '80s movies all you want. Fine. Here's a uh, another one. I just like the, the 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 selection of words for this quote. Jimmy sipped at his own coffee and grimaced. It had gotten cold. Worse, actually, it was getting cold. Cooling coffee was failing coffee. That was a very good one. That's good stuff. And that that quote made me think of Rob actually, because I don't drink coffee, but I can imagine him having the those sorts of feelings about cooling coffee. I like if that mo if that quote was like a person. I would have just made eye contact with it and like just given it a nod, like I totally get you. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna roll my my last one here. Um, uh, a little bit of setup is uh, somebody walks into the room and there's somebody else sleeping. So excited to kind of chase around so you don't get too much of. He looked down at Terry Hickerson sleeping like innocence, innocence trying to stuff busted fingers down the front of its pants. <laughs> That's a great oh, one. Yeah. <laughs> Adam, do you have any more? Because I got one more I'm going to do. Uh, I, have, I have two more. Um, and then another one reminds similar to that, where uh, it's talking about Terry and Cal waiting for something. And it says, the rate at which nothing was happening troubled them. <laughs> it was really good. Um, I'm going to do my final yeah. one. Uh, yeah, go ahead. And, and then you can do one more. Um, this is the this is circling back to the shits and fucks. I just wanted to leave out with some good shits and fucks. Shit, fuck, shit, fuck, shit. The yardbird reached the far end of his vocabulary and circled back. Fuck, shit, fuck. That was I had written that one down too. I thought maybe you'd already done it. Because um, that yeah that made me laugh. Um, but then there was another good one with uh, Chowder, where he's talking about just his philosophy on life, and he says. Bait, pussy, or crank, it didn't matter. There was there were unseen forces driving the market. Retail. Shit. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep, yep. Oh, good stuff there, good stuff. Who wants to start a wrap-up on this book? I think it's only fair to let Adam go first. Adam. All right. So the, the first thing that I uh, wanted to do, I, I, I feel I need to, um, following David James Keaton... I had to come up with some sort of James Keaton-esque, mind-blowing theory about this book. Oh, and nice. Just to make, make Livius want to go back and reread the whole thing. So here's my a la XXX Seamus swap. If you swap the times someone in the, here is shot in the head with the times a baby is born, then this becomes less about Hicks killing each other and more about a social commentary on the socioeconomic caste system in small-town America. 
there's my that's my <laughs> if you want to take this thing and make it something huge and blow Libius's mind. That was my attempt right there. Oh man. <laughs> I'm just gonna fall for this shit every time too, aren't I? Like yeah, maybe you're right. <laughs> um so I don't believe that's actually what he was doing. So um like I said before, I, I think it was really interesting the way he used uh, this unique medium of, of doing a, of a, a book where you actually commit your time and energy to reading it. And, and so you're participating. So you don't need that protagonist. You don't need that good guy to be spelled out for you. And you can really empathize much more easily with these characters. And so their hopes and, and what they want to accomplish and criminal and uncouth and... <laughs> Whatever they are, they're not very large. And so you start to feel okay that, oh, you know, he got $75 when he held up the convenience store. I'm sure the convenience store isn't going to go broke for that. You might as well let him get away with it. Um, and then every time something bad did happen to the characters, it wasn't cathartic. It wasn't like, oh, good. You know, he got his comeuppance. It was, it was more like, oh, just another crappy thing happened to this guy. You feel kind of bad. And each of those terrible things was just one of the possible outcomes. And they were more likely to fail than to succeed. And they were just looking to what, what was the next thing they could do uh, in life. And, and just, you know, what, what's the next problem to solve? Or when would they have to run away from the police? Just inexplicably, even if they hadn't done anything wrong that time. Or the police weren't after them for any one thing. Um, so you felt both empathy and you just felt bad for them, but in a way that you were like, oh, this is such an engaging story, and and the, the words came together beautifully. Do you, uh, do you have a, a rating between one and five stars? Uh, with the ratings, oh, I, I'm, I'm going to say four and a half. All right. Well, that was a far more in-depth look than I was planning on giving in my wrap-up, so <laughs> here's what I've got. I'll be really honest with you. I found this stuff to read um, through the first 20 or so percent of the book. And I don't know if it was um, a lot of characters and I have trouble with that or or what it was. But I, I was not looking forward to the time I was going to spend reading the rest of that book, this book. That being said, probably about the time I hit 25 percent, I found my groove. I think the story found its groove and I really thoroughly enjoyed the rest of it. Um, like I said, it was it was fun kind of, you know, trying to guess and see how these characters were all going to come together. There were definitely some uh, some uh, giggle worthy moments, um, but it was still a, a very gritty crime story. And I think that it's hard to do a good mix of, you know, Rob had mentioned earlier, kind of comic relief and still keep the, the, the gritty part of the of the story t- together. But I, I think Jed did a really great job. Um it is interesting that uh, that this book doesn't have a, a true protagonist, like somebody that stands out. And I think that it probably takes it probably takes a different kind of writer, if not necessarily a better writer, was what I was originally going to say, but a different kind of writer to deliver a great story when there's no clear cut um, protagonist. And Jed did a terrific job with that. So, like I said, I struggled a little bit at the beginning. I, I don't know how much of that is me and how much I can kind of put back on the story. But uh, ultimately, it's turned into a four-star book for me. Very enjoyable stuff. Boom. All right. Well, first of all, I want to apologize. Every car horn that you've heard this entire episode has been directly outside of my apartment. So 
totally on me for that. Dude, um, is someone waiting for you? Like, are they? Do you have? Yeah. That's A. Adam Otten. He's jealous. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> um, Peckerwood. So uh, what I knew of it was what I heard in Indianapolis when Jed Ayers did the reading for the book. So I knew that there was some stuff that I was going to enjoy. I just didn't know how it was going to play into the overall um, story. And um, yeah, so I, I didn't really, again, not really reading uh, synopsis too very too often. Um, that's all I knew about the book going into it. That being said, I've read, I think, everything else that Jed Ayers has written and enjoyed all of it, so I wasn't afraid. And um, it was nice to get into a full-length novel of Jed because primarily the stuff that I've read, I think everything, right, is um, mm-hmm. short stories. So this was like the real, like the, our first um, experience with something larger and... Uh, damn if he doesn't know how to develop characters uh, like like uh, Adam said earlier um, for me it felt like uh, I was reading in the course of 200 pages uh, what could develop over the course of a season of a TV so- uh, TV series um, just seeing all those different threads and how they inevitably kind of come together was very um, episodic feeling uh, overall just love Jed's uh, <laughs> I was going to make a a, a lame <laughs> because I heard it somewhere else recently so I've been dying to use the phrase like this is like a Goldilocks story it's not too much of one thing not too little of another it's just right um, but it, it, it doesn't really fit too well like Jed Ayers because and the reason is because like um, with with writing this rural slash southern slash midwestern whatever um, uh, type of, of crime fiction the tendency is to just go like really extreme in, in, into um, the the culture of these uh, you know mountain towns and stuff like that, and I don't think he did that. He made it um, easy for everybody to understand, um, so he didn't pull too far into that. But at the same time, um, it was extreme in a Jed Ayers kind of way. So uh, I don't know if that really helps anybody, <laughs> but in my <laughs> mind, it, <laughs> it makes total sense in my mind. What I'm saying in my mind right now, it just is like yeah, thumbs up. Um, but I nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> there's like another, like a little in my mind, me clapping right now. I guess what I'm getting at though is that um, the book is approachable. It's not something that um, uh, that someone who's not into this type of writing would, you know, wouldn't understand or wouldn't get something out of. It's it's universal enough that like someone who's new to reading like kind of rural crime fiction would would get something out of and enjoy the overall story of so. Um, I've talked way too long. I really dug the book. I'm going to go four stars. And then the one reason I, I didn't go five stars is because of the last page. The The way he ends it was, it just irked me because it seemed too much like when a, a TV show does a, a to be continued. Ah. Or, you know, it seemed like, not, not that he's setting up his next book or whatever, like he's going to do. You know the what happened to the the, the sequel um, to what happened to these gangsters or anything, but that that last page seemed unnecessary to me. But it just sort of seemed like if it ended maybe a page earlier or two pages earlier, then you kind of can assume the possible outcomes next instead of drawing it that specifically to well, this is how things are going to continue to unravel. Hmm. Interesting. 
I think that the expected move would be what you were suggesting, and I think that it's nice that he kind of allowed us to see more of like a specific trajectory. I, I kind yeah. of enjoyed it. Rob, I want to step back for a minute um, and disagree with um, with something that you said. You said that this was a book was uh, approachable by everybody. Um, I, be- <laughs> I, I, I beg to differ. Um, as uh, Athelie on Amazon did not feel <laughs> did not feel that it was as approachable as you made it. All right, here we go. Yeah, that, so Athelie, oh, hold on, this is that, that may be one of those times when Rob's. Um, desensitization yeah. to these sorts of stories comes in because I can imagine a lot of people on my Facebook friends list who would read this and no longer be my friend. Oh, wow. Well, you live in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, Adam. <laughs> Fair I enough. I don't even know if the middle finger has made it that far north yet. No, they they don't. They were much too nice for that up yeah, here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Coming from the mean streets of Northern Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we're shit talking our like our like simple like cushy lives. <laughs> All right, Athelie. so Athelie um, reviewed Peckerwood by Jebediah Ayers. <laughs> That's the first problem. She read the wrong book, I think. Yeah, and uh, here's well, I, I honestly think she might, and I, I didn't flip back because I, I saw this review earlier today, and and I actually meant to go back and, and kind of verify this, but um, it says I didn't make it through the first chapter. I should have known from the title. Fair. I read a lot of different types of books, but <laughs> disgusting is not one of the types. Was there anything really disgusting in the first chapter? Hmm. I don't. Was it like Terry talking about like his broken down house, like how like he kind of like he was bleeding from his face. Oh, oh, you know what? Yeah, yeah, he was, wasn't he? Yeah. All right. I don't know. They didn't say reason why yet. (laughs) Yeah. Um. So there you go, Rob. Not accessible by everybody. And that's fair. I mean, all right. So it's not it's not Athelie's thing. And and Jed, if you are listening to this review. For the sake of keeping readers like Athelie for future uh, books, you might want to make your book a little bit more like Isotoner Women's Embroidered Terry Ballerina <laughs> Slippers. I was totally going to go there. <laughs> Possibly the National Velour Ballerina Slippers or Isotoner Women's Classic Satin Ballerina Slippers. Uh, mint Paisley. Um, uh, Athelie does have large size feet. <laughs> <laughs> don't know what that has to do anything but maybe slip some isotone or women's slippers into one of your upcoming stories jed and maybe you can win athlete back because she seems to like those far more than she likes your book <laughs> oh yeah I, I totally wanted to mention that but rob i dug deeper of course and uh, <laughs> i found that athlete um, um gave three stars to the wolf gift um by ann rice with no. a review of yeah it, it's okay and um and then even further down, she really liked uh, the cuckoo's ca- cuckoo's calling. Wow. <laughs> well, with a review of, can I give you the review? Yeah. To the cuckoo's calling. I'm American, so I was lost most of the time. <laughs> oh my God, Athelie. <laughs> but the story was great. I thought Strike would make Robin his business partner. That was her review for the cuckoo's calling. <laughs> Wait a minute! Didn't this take place in the UK? Yes. What is there to be lost about? 
I have no idea. I was not lost at all reading that book. Dude, that but, would be like if like a, a story took place in New York and I was like, well, I'm from Chicago, so I obviously had no idea what was going on. Uh, I would like to say, and we did have this discussion on another podcast very recently, that things have to be dumbed down for the American audiences. Yeah. Athley, um, the the Sherlock, they dumbed it down just for you, hon. You She's sit a fan at home of with your isotoners. Yeah. Yeah. You could sit at home in your isotoners and uh and watch a dumbed down Sherlock so you'll get it because you know it takes place in the UK. Uh, all right. Athley. All right, Athley. Um so Jed makes it out all right for us. He got an overall four point something stars. Yeah, four and some change there. Yeah, it's a good book. And and it it, it uh I don't know how to say this. It was a much bigger book than the 200 pages. That's what was kind of interesting. You're saying it's bigger on the inside? Is it like a Doctor Who reference? It is a Doctor <laughs> Who reference. Did, did everybody did everybody mark her review not helpful? Because I did mark her review uh, not helpful. Oh, is. I will. I can. Yeah, you should. Thank you. <laughs> um, but um, speaking of... of uh, uh, of the Brits, and I kind of alluded to it a little bit ago. Rob and I had the pleasure of being guests on the This Is Horror podcast again. Yeah, um, Turnabout was fair play, I think, a little bit, because um, if you'll remember back in the day, we had uh, David James Keaton on to review his own book, Fish Bites Cop. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that inspired the uh, This Is Horror folks to uh, do the same thing. They were uh, coming out of some controversy for having some for having a, opinions about a book um, that that people didn't like, and so they they thought that maybe we were tough skinned enough to be able to um, handle getting reviewed live on on their podcast. So <laughs> that's what we did. It was a little terrifying at first, wasn't it? No. Nah. <laughs> okay. Wait, was it? <laughs> did I miss mind. that? Well, at first, I was kind of like, oh, they're going to review this book. And if they hate it, like, we've got to sit here and, like, take it. Like, you know, like, it's not like listening to it in the car and being like, yeah, fuck these guys. You know, <laughs> it actually, like, sit there and, and be like, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. But uh, it was it was a really good time. And it was nice to get. Here's the thing. Talk about the tables being turned. You know, we've spent you know, nearly 200 episodes, a majority of them reviewing people's books, right? Mm-hmm. we've never had someone talk about our book like at length you know I mean, we saw some posts in you know lit reactor um book club which was great and stuff but this was somebody dissecting our book like we've done for so many other books yeah and um one of the things that i'm most proud of is uh when they asked us for our three favorite stories we gave exactly mm-hmm. three stories each and yep. we didn't even bitch about it we just did it yeah, yeah, we're we're great guests. Yeah, people could learn from us. Yeah, can I just say I'm pretty sure they knew to be nice with Livius there, otherwise he would totally pour sugar in their gas tank and stab their cat in the face. I had I had three different travel sites up ready to pull the trigger on whatever <laughs> the cheapest airfare was to the UK if I needed to. I yeah, that's what it would take to get Livius to travel overseas. That's yeah. That's pretty much it. Yeah. So, but at any rate, it was great. uh, I'm gonna go back. That's a quote from uh, Peckerwood, where he says his strength was built on hate, propelled and pardon me, propelled him toward freedom and independence. That reminded me of Olivia in that moment. (laughs) 
And Livius' entire life is built on hate. It is. <laughs> it is. Um, but it was great to it was great to join those guys again. Definitely go check that episode out at thisishorror.co.uk, um, and then you know drop them a line. Tell them uh, tell them what you thought about the episode. Uh, we'll also be appearing apparently in a future episode too. Rob, is that correct? Yeah, because we uh, stuck around and talked a little bit about TV and movies a little bit. So uh, that's going to show up on another episode mm-hmm. uh, somewhere in the future. And. And I understand that at the end of this month, This Is Horror will be announcing their This Is Horror Awards winners. Now, we are eligible for two categories, so I fully expect to get... How many awards, Rob? Do the math. Uh, At least two, because you're talking about winning in other categories. Well, yeah, because we asked people to write in for various categories that we weren't (laughs) nominated for. So at least two, the two that we are nominated for, and maybe, maybe... Tattoo artists of the year. <laughs> that that's where if Livius doesn't win it, I have wasted a vote right there. See, thank you, thank you very much, Adam. Thank you for your vote. So, um, but that should be coming up in the next ten days or so. So expect that there will either be some celebration on this podcast or suicide. That's the other option. <laughs> yeah. Don't do it, Liv. Yeah. Well, now that we have now that we have an ample uh, amount of co-host talent available to us. Um, which basically means if your name's Adam, you can get on the show. So any other Adams that are out there, if you want on, just shoot an email over, and we'll uh, we'll we'll have you on. Except that fucking Adam Corolla guy. I can't stand that yeah, guy. Yeah, right. I was gonna say, let's just have some some sense of dignity here. Let's let's let's, let's be honest. If Adam Corolla wanted to guest host this show, we'd probably take him. No, fuck that. Oh, we're taking a stand. Now. That's right. Adam right. Corolla is not allowed on this podcast. <laughs> You hear that, Adam Carolla? You're not allowed on the booked podcast. B-O-O-K-E-D period podcast. That's right. In case you want to mention it on one of your many radio shows or podcasts or TV shows. That's right. Booked two O's. Or if you would just like to pay these guys for bringing up your name and radio shows and podcasts, that would be spectacular as well. That's that's how it happens, right? When you mention someone's work without their permission, they pay you for it, right? Right. So what else we got going on? Well, speaking of guys named Adam, um, we're totally unfair uh, unfair to this Adam by having something from the other Adam on this episode. Mm -hmm. So A. Adam Otten returns as as, uh, Jimmy Pulaski in another edition of the booked mailbag. Mailbag. Sorry. Mailbag. That's some funny shit. We get your letters, sometimes we read on This is Booked Mailbag With Jimmy Hey there gang, Jimmy Pulaski here, back from the hospital Oh and that reminds me, because of what happened last time The Booked Mailroom is hereby instituting a new policy No more man-sized boxes That's right, from here on out I can no longer accept anything larger than a man's fist and I probably could have worded that better. But anyway. Oh, god damn it. Hey. Hey. Ever since they dragged Fred's carcass out of here, this rat's been hanging around. Hey. Ben. I call him Ben. Ben. Get out of here. I said get out. Okay. Sorry y'all had to witness that bit of aggression, but I don't react well to rats. 
I had a bad experience. When I was a kid, I was out playing on my massive family estate when I suddenly fell into a hole. A hole filled with rats. Later, after my parents were gunned down, I used that terrifying memory to design a vigilante ensemble that would strike fear into the hearts of criminals everywhere. Oh wait, that wasn't me. That's the origin story of legendary DC comic superhero Ratman. It is Ratman, right? Anyway, our first letter comes to us from Berlin, Germany. Old Duschland, as it is called by the natives. And of course, a hearty gluten tag to all those natives listening now. Dear Booked, thank you for inquiring into booking heh, my client for an interview. Unfortunately, he is currently, and for the foreseeable future, sunning himself on the beautiful beaches of Argentina with his wife, Ava. No need for a reply. This will be the final salutation. Heil Heil, Joseph. Oh well, maybe David James Keaton can take over that slot. Speaking of DJK, I believe this next letter may have something to do with him. It comes to us from the Atari Corporation. Oh boy, I bet that place is a riot. Especially if you're a teenager. Which I am not. Dear Booked, This letter is in response to events that transpired on episode 188 of your podcast. We at Atari would like to remind your listeners that our products and their accessories are only to be used as directed. This next part's in bold. At this time, there is no sexual application for our products. Thank you for your compliance in these matters. Signed, Frederick. P.S. Zip, 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 zip. I don't know what that means, but it sounds perverted. Finally, a letter from right here in Chicago. Ben writes, Dear Booked, Squeak, 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 squeak. What is this, onomatopoeia day? Squeak, squeak, squeak. I don't, I don't get this. Squeak, 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 squeak. How long does this go on for? Ben? Is that you? Oh, it is you. And it seems you brought a whole lot of friends. Listen, listen about, about earlier. Oh God, it's just like in my fake childhood memory. Oh God, no, no, they're nibbling on me. They're nibbling on me! We got your letters, we read some of them. That was booked. Mailbag with Jimmy. All right, once again, that was uh, our man, Jimmy Pulaski, uh, and the booked mailbag. I, um,. I don't know, man. I, I know we were talking on the previous episode about having this um, this Adolf Hitler fella um, mm-hmm. on, but um, I don't know if we're going to be able to reach him. Uh, Here's the thing, dude. I was thinking about this because, you know what, I have all this leftover money from not having to go to, to, to the UK. <laughs> um, you know, it's, we were just talking about the review. Dude, let's go to Argentina. I heard that's where all the cool kids hang out. You mean like <laughs> war criminals? Or their work didn't I? I thought like he had a thing like Argentina was like a happening spot. Is that not? Is it just for war criminals? I don't know, Adam. No. What do you think? I I believe that that is a popular uh, 
Nazi war criminal destination is Haven. Central and South America. Oh, okay. Haven, let's, I think, let's is the be word. Fair. It's not likely there's a whole lot of them left, right? <laughs> well, that's true. And, I mean, but didn't you see that one X Men movie where, like, <laughs> he tracks down the Nazi guy? You know what I'm talking about? The first class? No, oh, right. the fir- first class? Yeah. Is that what it was? Yeah. I don't know, but let's be realistic. This has got to be approaching that whole munchkin thing from The Wizard of Oz where there can only be like one or two left alive. Are you bringing up that tragic? You're going to make me cry. The last female munchkin died the other day. See? And I didn't know that happened. It was terrible. Yeah, so there you go. It's, it's got to be like. She was not a Nazi war criminal, however, so it doesn't. <laughs> Can somebody do, can we get like a pool on who's going to go first, the munchkins or the Nazis? Like which group will become extinct first? <laughs> well, you know, there's groups of neo munchkins like out there. Then that show that used to be on MTV. What? Oh my God. The celebrity deathmatch, like munchkins yes. versus Nazis. <laughs> My money is on the Lollipop Guild. Oh my god. Neo uh, bad ass mother. Neo So um yeah, so at any rate, I guess but you already have travel plans, so maybe we should put off our Argentina trip, huh? Yeah, that's right. Well at least for the first half of the year I'm pretty booked up I'm booked up for uh for travel. <laughs> um I am officially going to be at AWP in Seattle. I will. I'll be representing booked uh solo and um not long after announcing that I would be up there, uh, ha- had some conversations with Rob Hart over at uh, the Unprincipled podcast. He's also the hey, uh, he's a war criminal, right? What from the from the podcast wars? Would podcast you be considered wars, a war yeah. criminal? Yeah. Well, is he? No. Okay. He, well, I don't know if he's a war criminal, but he was. He's a veteran of the podcast wars. Let's well, not jump right to war criminal. Like, I don't know if he's responsible <laughs> for the deaths of like thousands of podcasters or anything. <laughs> No, and if anybody's going to be, it's not Rob Hart. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> there was a lot of people in that war. So anyway, uh, back on track, the uh, AWP in Seattle uh, uh, contacted by uh, Rob Hart, and we were talking about, um, I guess, Lit Reactor was working on um, doing a party up there, and Booked's name is probably going to be associated with that party. I don't really know if I have any duties or responsibilities, or they just want to play <laughs> off of our fame. Can we just get but, the names listed in alphabetical order? That's the fairest way to do things. <laughs> Booked? Lit Reactor? Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> uh, love the guys over at Lit Reactor. Uh, but uh, the overall story is I'm going to be up there for AWP, uh, which means um, Booked is going to be represented and, and probably a lot of weird projects that may never see the light of day are going to be going on up there. But maybe they will. Who knows? That will also likely mean a lot of Instagramming of food that you're eating in Seattle, I would think. No? Yes. 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 Okay. I just want to make sure. And bourbon. Rob, Rob's at list. Like, shit, I forgot to write that down. Things to do while I'm in Seattle. And bourbon. Actually, I have a plan to get my new phone specifically before I go so that I can have the feature where I can do slow motion video while I'm in, uh, in Seattle. So get ready for some slow motion video Instagram. <laughs> Get ready for some really <laughs> long videos because they're all in slow motion. Fifteen minutes in slow mo. Oh. That's that's yeah. absurd. Okay. All right. Uh, that's actually a feature on on the iPhone five S. I'm assuming yes. The slow motion video. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I had not heard of that. Yes. Huh. I could bore Very you with the details of it if you want. 
I uh, let's do that off air. Okay. Um, I do want to mention a couple of other things. Um, again, for astute listeners to pay attention to things, we did talk um, late December about perhaps bringing you a reading. So uh, the reading that we were looking to bring you was uh, the Bizarro Hour. It was a, a Christmas miracle. Was the <laughs> uh, the tagline for that, and that was uh, put together by Andy Day Fonseca. Sure. Yeah, maybe. That sound right? Yeah, I'm gonna go with Anybody? it. Okay, because <laughs> we love brutalizing names on here. <laughs> no one's fighting Un- you, at Livius. Yeah, I. Uh, I um, unfortunately, um, we were unable to pull the audio from the video. So here's what it was: we really wanted to go to this thing, and unfortunately, we couldn't. So we tried to work out where we could. Um, we asked very nicely, and she was very courteous in, in allowing us to use it. But through whatever magic Rob does, the magic failed, and we are unable to Whoa. bring you that audio. We were also going to take a week off, which would have been pretty cool because we would have just played that. So, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to bring you that. But I did think it was interesting. We should mention Andy has a book out called The Cheat Code Cheat Code for God Mode, which doesn't sound like it'd be really hard to say, but apparently I trip over it um, every time. Um, which is definitely something that sounds very interesting as it's a very heavily video game based um, story, kind of a bizarro story. But the timing on this was pretty excellent because those of you who remember Frank Edler, um, friend of this show and co-host of Books, Beer and Bullshit, um, just had a story published in Strange Fucking Stories, a strange anthology, which is... um, put out by Kevin Strange of Strange House Books. I don't think I could really say strange that many times in one sentence. Anyone yeah. track that? Was that like seven or eight times? Yeah. That's kind of <laughs> weird. <laughs> was, yeah, very nice. So, <laughs> um, and uh, Kevin Strange was also at this reading. Rob's going to provide a link to the video, which is on some website i never heard of. What was that website, dude? Uh, Not YouTube. Something user, like... Yeah. Dem user or something weird like that. It was not YouTube, which is a little weird because that's that's uh, that's the go-to place for videos, right? Yeah, or Vimeo, which is another big one. All right. Uh. Yes. So, um, unfortunately, we're unable to bring you that reading, but you can definitely hear it and see it yourself in the link provided with the post for this episode. Um, but I did want to mention strange fucking stories. So... I had some time to kill the other day after I'd finished Jed's book and decided to read Frank Edler's story in um, Strange Fucking Stories. You know, from time to time, I read a a story uh, on my lunch that was a bad idea. This was the worst fucking idea I'd ever had for reading a story. (laughs) And you knew that. Just a a little bit of it on Facebook. And while the rest of us were also eating lunch... Dude, but here's here's the thing. So here we go. This this it's called Dick Sick is the name of the story, which you would think is is you know is is pretty bad, and it was. So the story starts out with this guy getting up in the morning, feeling crappy and feeling sick, and he's like got phlegm in his throat. So there's a couple paragraphs about this. You guys have no goddamn idea how much worse this story gets. Because I, when I posted it, I kind of just wanted Frank to see that I was reading it. I thought it'd be funny that I'm reading a story called Dixick. I didn't even really think about the content on the page when I did that. And people were like, ew, oh, this is horrible. I can't believe you'd post this while, you know, during lunchtime. And I go, guys, guys, this is nothing. This story proceeds into, I'm going to give you kind of a little bit of a synopsis on it. 
Um, Preston wakes up one morning, feels crappy. He hocks up some phlegm, and in his phlegm, he thinks he sees some penis-shaped objects, really, really small, in his, like, napkin that he coughed into. And, you know, as this progresses... Is this, like, Christ on a cracker or something? Is that... No, 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 no. Every time he expels any type of bodily fluid, the penises in it get larger <laughs> and larger and larger. And there's very, very graphic scenes because, of course, this poor guy's sick. So he's sneezing. He's coughing. He's vomiting. He has diarrhea. And it just gets so much worse than those first couple of paragraphs. Like, I thought maybe I should apologize to people for posting those <laughs> But you know what? No, because you guys didn't get any. You got 5% of this whole story. So totally disgusting and terrible. But fun at the same time. So <laughs> It's the only story I've read yet. I am planning on knocking out some more of these stories over the course of the next week. But um, today it's on sale. So apparently right around through the end of the month, you can pick it up for $2.99. Um, it has this crazy cover with like a pink it's a half man, half horse. Is that a minotaur? Yes. Yeah, like a minotaur. Nope. It's like cowboy that's, with guns. No, that's centaur? a centaur. Centaur. What's oh, a minotaur yeah, is the bull man from the, the labyrinth. Man. Yeah. Uh, and Not then like, like the a labyrinth girl. with David Bowie, but like. <laughs> <laughs> and a girl with some guns and a tank top, and and I, I can see where this is going to be fun, but likely very, very, very disgusting. So if you're one of those people who just bought that book, I don't remember the name, but the one I keep seeing on Facebook, The Pus Eater or whatever it's called. You guys know what I'm talking about? Big cartoon picture guy with a bunch of like pussy sores on his face. Nope. It's whatever just came out from Eraserhead. Then this might be for you guys. Dick sick, Frank Edler. Mm -hmm. And I've shut down the podcast pretty effectively. (laughs) There's no redemption um, at all. Adam, before we let you go for the evening, is there anything you'd like to plug? Yeah, just the latest uh, adventure I've been on is my uh, photo website, which is 14and3.com, which is 14and3.com. And uh, it's the website and on Facebook. And just take a look at some of the photos I've taken and share it with everybody so I can become famous like these two. I do have a couple prints of some of uh, his photography, and it's pretty awesome. Um, they'll be going up on the walls of the booked studio very soon. Hey, so can you explain the website name? Oh, the <laughs> this is it's probably going to be longer than you're going to want to put in the uh, podcast. But <laughs> back, as you see, like all the ripply lines around the edge of the frame, uh, way back in the day when <laughs> Rob and I and all of our friends had pagers, we all had a pager code. And so, like, um, mine was 14, because upside down it said hi. Uh, our friend John's was uh, 5020, which is Zoso, the Led Zeppelin album. Um, our other friend Shane was 835, because upside down it was her initials. Um, everyone, you know, all of our friends had different ones. What was yours again, Rob? Uh, 242. Uh, yes, the two four two, and uh, so it just always just our. If we called a friend from some number that wasn't our home, we would type in our code so they knew who, if they were going to call them back or not. And uh, so that was that's the fourteen 
and then the the three is just sort of my uh, lucky number thrown in there. So. Well, there you go. <laughs> I'm glad you explained the the pager tags for for you know people under thirty that never owned a pager. <laughs> it brings me back. I was actually it's crazy. I was talking about pagers yesterday, and I had to explain to someone who was born in 1992 um, that. Uh, like we would send each other a string of numbers in a space and another string of numbers in a space and it was words and um you'd have to look at a phone with the numbers and the letters on them and figure out which letter corresponded with the number and like kind of piece together the word and rob was like a freaking savant with it it was ridiculous (laughs) i was a savant about it for sure (laughs) yes you were Isn't that like a large bird? I'm lucky I didn't run into you when I used to go pheasant hunting. (laughs) Oh, damn it. Oh, comedy gold. Oh, good stuff. Pheasant? Shut up. (laughs) I was was really good at that. I had had this person test me the other day. They just threw me some random words, and I translated it into numbers. Such a useful talent to have too in today's day and age. That's right. Yeah, and it's not even just people that were that are young. It's my wife grew up in Wisconsin, and apparently they didn't have pagers up here <laughs> in the nineties. And so every time I tell that kind of story, she looks at me and goes, "Seriously, were you a drug dealer? Why? Why would you have a pager in high school?" Man, Wisconsin's so adorable, Adam. Thank you so much yeah. for uh, being a guest and uh, and reading through Peckerwood and having some really good thoughts on it and uh, joining us on the on the podcast. Thank you very much. I, I love being what I call fame adjacent, where all my friends become worldwide known and popular, and hopefully one day make a billion dollars. And uh, Ooh, there you I go. just get to say I knew them on episode what one eighty seven or whatever. That's <laughs> what I live for. I knew them when they were hundred heirs. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Episode 190 and and Gabillion. That's a a throwback, Livius. Do you remember Gabillion? I did. I created that number. (laughs) A morbidly obese Gabillionaire. What's coming up next, Livius? Next up, uh, we have Nefarious Twit. Tony McMillan. That's right. I've I've just started. I don't even know how to describe this book yet. I'm about 15% in. I was trying to the pause. I was like, I should probably say something about this book. I don't have anything to say about it yet. I can't really, I I don't have a feel for it yet. Um, But we met Tony back in Boston in April, March, April, March of uh, of this past year. And uh, we knew at that time that he was going to have a book coming out. And uh, we're kind of excited. That's hit the shelves uh, here recently in the last week or two. And uh, Booked will be bringing you, of course, yet another in-depth review, a co-host free review, by the way. It's going to be just me and you next week. It'll be kind of lonely. Kind of intimate. Mm. I remember. You say intimate, I say lonely. (laughs) I remember vividly in Boston shaking Tony down for some pizza money. So it'll be interesting to... uh, See oh, the other really? side of him, the artist side of him. <laughs> the one that's not trying to like reach for his wallet because I'm like standing above him asking him for money. Yeah. Oh, God, Rob, the things you remember. Well, All right. You know, I didn't know the guy. It was like, I'm like, 
You need to give me pizza money. <laughs> oh. That's and it. that's the whole thing. The glamour is, is at a meant, you know, we're, we're you know, kind of internet famous a little bit. Yeah, the glamour is like, hey, dude, where's your five bucks for the pizza? <laughs> yeah, but then we got to hold up, like, all of the $5 from, like, 30 different people. And that felt like a lot of money for a minute. Dude, it did. And quite honestly, when you think of who all that money came from, we should have saved that money and put it on a credit card. Yeah. Because some of them could be famous. I promise next week there will be no talk of pizza money. That's my promise to you, the listener. All right. Until then, I'm Livia Snudden. I'm Rob Olson. I'm Adam and Ashkosh, whose legs don't work. Keep reading. <laughs>